0: If you want to get some evidence-based tips on how to improve your own health and well-being along with your organization's population, health and well-being, you'll want to listen to this podcast.
1: Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Dr. Arvind chandra professor and academic director, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional and personal lives. This program is brought to you by Fisher Executive Education. Uh, welcome to the program, Dr. Melnik Thanks. I'm happy to join you. Dr. Melnik can you tell us, uh, for the listeners, tell us more about what you do and, and what kind of work you do at uh, Ohio State?
0: You bet. So, eight years ago, I left sunny Arizona to come to Columbus, Ohio for a big dream. And that dream was to help build the uh, healthiest university, not just in the state of Ohio or nation, but in the world. And I was very blessed. Um, that I was able to be appointed as the first chief wellness officer at a university in the United States. So my role is to spearhead the improvement of population, health and well-being across the whole university.
1: Um, that is very, very interesting. In fact, this is a very relevant topic for uh, today's generation where health and wellness are extremely important for the uh, not only just the employee productivity, but the employee morale. So uh, can you tell us more about uh, what kind of initiatives that you have taken at Ohio State along these lines?
0: Sure. We take a comprehensive, multi-component, evidence-based strategy, to improving population, health, and well-being here. We have a philosophy in God we trust, but everybody else better bring data Mm -hmm. to the table because we've got to implement comprehensive evidence-based interventions that we know work, and at the same time, we've got to strictly monitor outcomes. So at Ohio State, we really take an evidence-based quality improvement approach to improving health and well-being in our faculty, staff, and students. We adopted the socio-ecological framework as our guide to intervention strategy here. So we target evidence-based interventions to individuals, the family and social network, the workplace culture and environment, and then policy. Again, that comprehensive strategy is what A lot of other organizations have missed. And in that strategy, you have to target top leaders, middle managers and supervisors, as well as the grassroots and the system, as well as the culture.
1: That that is very, very interesting. In fact, like as you point out, Dr. Melny, the whole aspect of it has to be holistic and it has to be well-rounded. So what are some findings that you've found here by implementing this kind of a holistic model at Ohio State? What are some results out there?
0: We have some great outcomes. Not only population health and well-being outcomes, such as a 7% improvement in population cardiovascular health Mm -hmm. decreases in stress, anxiety, improvements in the numbers of faculty and staff who have Mm prediabetes, our hypertension control. We've had really good outcomes with that. And very importantly for the C-suite we have an awesome return on investment. Mm-hmm. So for every dollar we invest in wellness here at Ohio State, we show a $3.65 return on investment. In fact, we are in the third year of a negative healthcare trend at Ohio State when other organizations are experiencing a four to six percent increase in the healthcare trend. Mm.
1: That is quite fascinating, in fact, that the results speaks for themselves, right? So this is a very important point is that the whole aspect of wellness. Is getting into the pre uh, aspect of healthcare now. Most of the most of the people think about healthcare as outcomes after hospitalization, but what what your research and your work at Ohio State is doing is actually to get them maybe healthy, and being healthy allows them to actually like avoid less of the overall total cost. So the return of investment is very evident there. So let me ask you this question, Dr. Melnick. This is amazing, and and I can understand the the, the results that's happening at Ohio State. Let's say there is a listener out there who's actually from an organization who's not a Ohio State. Uh, What do you think they should do to think about like um, participating or working with their uh, employees to actually implement some of the things that you talked about?
0: Yeah, I think every university throughout the country must have a chief wellness officer. So two years ago or in 2017, The National Academy of Medicine launched an action collaborative on clinician well-being and resiliency because of the public health epidemic Mm -hmm. of burnout, depression, and suicide that we are seeing in clinicians. So I was part of a group of people who work on that collaborative that published an article for health affairs on an urgent call for chief wellness officers since we published that article academic medical centers health care systems throughout the united states have been hiring chief wellness officers to lead population health and wellness improvement. Universities must do the same thing. There are 33 million people who live, who work, who study in institutions of higher learning across the United States. We could really put a dent in this horrific situation that we're seeing with chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Because right now in this country, one out of two people have a chronic condition, but 80% of chronic disease is totally preventable Mm -hmm. with just a few healthy lifestyle changes like, 30 minutes of physical activity five days a week, mm-hmm. at least five fruits and vegetables a day. Mm-hmm. Don't smoke. If you drink alcohol, alcohol in moderation, stress reduction, and sleep at least seven hours a night. Mm-hmm. If if we could get everybody in the country just doing those evidence-based healthy lifestyle behaviors, we could almost wipe out chronic disease in this country.
1: That is fascinating, in fact. Now, again, going back to what you just said, the importance of every institution having a chief wellness officer. I believe, again, I want to hear your thoughts on this, the same transfers to like for-profit organization. Let's say there's a Kroger out there, there's a Walmart out there, there's a Best Buy out there. I mean, they, I mean, like some of these findings and some of these uh, things that you've t- talked about, it's easy for them to adopt. And and do you see that the trend going along with like organizations outside the educational institutions emphasizing wellness and, and showing some results on that?
0: Yeah, I think it's a growing movement but again, unfortunately, we live in a sick care healthcare care system, right? Mm-hmm. People get sick, they come into the healthcare care system to get better and then go on. We have got to shift our paradigm in the United States from sick care to well care mm-hmm. because we spend more money on health care than any Western world country, yet we rank 37th in world health outcomes. That that should tell us right there, Mm -hmm. we need to do something differently. But prevention doesn't, the outcomes for prevention, like what we're doing here at Ohio State, often doesn't get an immediate result. It takes longer. We'll always need to manage chronic illness well, Mm -hmm. but we've got to place higher emphasis on healthy lifestyle behaviors, wellness cultures, where healthy behaviors are the default choice for people, the norm.
1: I like this point about the whole concept of shifting the value equation more towards, again, preventive health and preventive programs towards uh, uh, like rather than like post health outcomes. Like, OK, what happens if I'm really sick? Rather than that, I can think about it as a and then the cost of doing it, like you said, like is smaller and the dividends are actually enormous. So that that's good there. So let me ask you one more question on this, uh, uh, Dr. Malnick. Now, like you might see in your own uh, experience working with so many uh, people at Ohio State, there might be some people who are receptive to some of these things, but some of them, it's very hard to move them. So how do you work with them? Like sometimes they say, okay, it's not for me, right? So how do you actually work with some of these people to emphasize the importance of health and wellness?
0: Yeah, for one, we have to recognize behavior change is really tough. We can give people all the evidence, let's say behind sitting. Uh Sitting is actually the new smoking. It's killing us. Hmm. We have so much evidence that shows if we sit on average three hours a day, we increase our cardiac risk by 30%. If we sit five or more a day hours, that's comparable to smoking one and a quarter packs of cigarettes every day on our body. When I say that in my talks to people, everybody's mouth opens like they're in shock, Mm. but not everybody then stands up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I always say is so critical is evidence plus emotional stories Mm -hmm. often get people motivated to make a change. And I often tell the story, my personal story, that when I was 15 years of age, Mm -hmm. home alone with my mom, Mm -hmm. she sneezed and stroked out right in front of me and died. Now, what's sad about my mom's story, she had a history of headaches for over a year. And she went to the doctor a week before she died for a workup of the headaches. She was diagnosed with high blood pressure, given a prescription for a blood pressure medication that my dad found in her purse after she died. But when you think about it, one out of two people in this country who have high blood pressure don't have it under control. They're not taking their medication. They're not changing behaviors to lead a more healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So again, we could prevent so many strokes so many heart attacks if people would just take the evidence that's out there put some emotion to it and say if i don't do it for myself take Mm -hmm. better care of myself i'm gonna do it for my children Mm -hmm. or my other loved ones who want me to be around for a really long time so The story, the emotional story is often what gets people thinking about making a change. Because if we don't take time for self-care today, we're going to have to make time for illness that is going to come.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. I mean, the the way you just described is really, really, really powerful. Let me ask you one last question. I know we're running out of time, Dr. Melnik. So if there is a listener out there right now that they want to go back, they have heard this, they are energized, they have to go back and make that change. What do you recommend to them? I mean, like you mentioned several important things about sleep and about uh, standing, exercising five days a week. Is there something that you actually help them like to think about, okay, here's my first step. I know like these things can come together, but here's the first thing that you should do as you think about your wellness journey. Is there anything that you can say to our listeners out there?
0: I would say make or break a new health habit or break an old one that's not healthy today. And even if you didn't set a New Year's resolution, because most people who set them on January 1 Mm -hmm. fall off the wagon by Mm -hmm. January 30th. Today can be your January 1, Mm -hmm. any day of the entire year. But what's really critical is set a goal, not so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. See, most people fall off the wagon because they set an unrealistic goal. It's too high and they fall off quickly. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, you're exercising three days a week for 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. set a specific goal. Increase that to 20 minutes, three days a week. Mm-hmm. But you've got to write it down mm-hmm. and then you have to put it where you can see it mm-hmm. every day because that visual trigger will help you to try and stick to that goal.
1: That is amazing. That's a nice way to end this podcast. And like, how do you really visually enforce some of the behavioral change? As you real nicely put it out there. It's that like realistic goals that matters a lot. And realistic goals that makes the individual takes the next step and then comply to that. So that's a very nice way to summarize uh, the whole aspect of wellness. So I want to thank once again, Dr. Melnick, I know you were you had a busy day today. Thank you so much for uh, giving this opportunity for listeners to hear about uh, wellness and health at Ohio State. Thank you.
0: I was delighted. Thank you for having me.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or information about executive education program offerings, please visit fisher.osu.edu.